All right, let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. Uh, this was interesting first service. Let's, let's see how it plays out in here. How many of you actually are the thing? Raise your hand if you are the thing that you dreamed about as a child. There's a strong row right here. Like you guys are, you guys, the rest of us have just settled for something else, but you guys have achieved your dreams. Congratulations to you. Uh, hopefully you heard some good stuff in there. One guy first sort of said he wanted to be Vin Diesel when he grew up, which I think is an excellent plan. Um, there's only one of them, and only one of him, and you can't be him, but I still think that's a good childhood dream. Um, I wanted to be a professional golfer. I thought being on the PGA Tour sounded awesome, um, and so I was playing a lot and, and trying to do that. But I had these dreams. We, we all do. You, you go, oh, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be, uh, you know, I want to change the world, yeah, all these things. And for whatever reason, as you hit adulthood, you kind of like scale that back quite a bit. You know, you sort of go, ah, I don't know about that. And I think part of the reason is adulting is just hard. You just go, oh, I got to like pay rent and I've got to do these things. I don't know if I could, all that takes a lot of work and I don't know if I can really get there. And so some of that makes us sort of lower our expectations. But uh, I, I think another big piece of that though is just change is hard. Um, anyone who's ever tried to lose 20 pounds or quit smoking or whatever, like, Go, you've been going on this path, and I want to change this other thing. You, you've discovered, hey, this is not easy. If change was easy, everybody would be doing it pretty, pretty naturally, and we'd all be changing for the better. Uh, this stuff is actually pretty hard. And so somewhere along the way, we stop believing things are possible. You know, we were young, we, I, I want to, we're, we're young, we say, I want to change the world. As we get older, we're like, I just want to change, like, maybe my wardrobe, like, once a, a year or something like that. You go, oh, I want to, I want to see the world. And you're like, I just want to save up enough frequent flyer miles to maybe take that trip out west or something. Like, um, we, we, we just lower our, our dreams because being an adult is pretty hard. And, and, and what happens is we end up kind of getting into a rut, Right? We, we just get into this rut where things don't change. Dallas Willard says that a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. And I'm like, oh, that's discouraging. Mark Twain says this, which I really like. Most men die at 27. We just bury them at 72. Um, so pick me up to start this morning. And, and I know that may be true for a lot of people. I just don't want it to be true for me. And I don't want it to be true for you. I want to change. I want to grow. If I hit retirement someday, I still want to have a plan for the next 20 years of my life. And where I'm going to do this and we're going to accomplish this. Like I want to keep moving and growing and becoming something. And I think a lot of you probably feel the same, the same way too. And this is actually why I work in the church. Because I believe, and you may not feel this way, but I believe that the church is the greatest change agent in the history of the world. I have been around it enough to see people's lives get turned upside down through the church in a really powerful way. I've seen people come free of addiction because of the power of God at work in the local church. I've seen marriages get healed because of the power of God at work in the local church. I've seen people, they were going down this path and they went on a completely different path because of the power of God working in the local church. I believe that the church has the power uh, with God because of its connection to God and, and Jesus, I think the church has the power to change lives. And so I work in one because I want to I be, be about that. I want to be about the transformation. I want a front row seat to what God is doing in, in the world. Um, and so I want to uh, talk to you about transformation. We, as a church, we, we've been talking here in this series, Area 10 2.0, hey, our church is going to be 10 years old next week, and we want to celebrate, hey, 
what has God done in us and in us and through us for the last 10 years, but where are we going now? And we've been rearticulating our vision statement and our values. And so we've been going through a couple of those each week. We did two last week. I want to do two today for you. And the ones I want to talk about today have to do with this idea of transformation. In fact, the vision statement that we landed on as, as leadership of the church is transforming lives in the city for the city. And so what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we change and transform? And to, and to look at that, I want to look at one of the first guys who's ever, whose life was ever really rocked by Jesus. And I want to see what we, what we see in him and then uh, look at what the applications are for us now uh, today. So look at Acts chapter 9. There's a guy named Saul. And uh, he had this encounter with God that was pretty profound. We're going to put it up on the screen. Let me read it to you. Acts 9 verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. All right. Saul is persecuting. Saul is a Jew, and he's persecuting this new group that is formed called the followers of the way. They weren't called Christians. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so these followers kind of grabbed onto that phrase and said, oh, we are followers of him. We are followers of the way. If we said now we're not Christians, we're followers of the way, it's got too much of a cult vibe to it. It sounds weird if we were to say it. But they didn't call themselves a church, which in our culture, the word church has some institutional baggage with it where you go like, oh, church, I don't know if I like that. So they were called the followers of the way. Saul is persecuting them. He's rounding them up. He's arresting them, taking them to Jerusalem, and on his way, uh, God gets a hold of him and appears in this blinding light. Um, he's struck blind. He hears this voice, and 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 Jesus appears to, to to Saul and says, "What are you doing? Like these are my people. Like stop it. Just quit it." And and Saul is pretty blown away by this thing, and he's pretty. Uh, pretty challenged, and this begins the transformation of Saul into uh, the guy we know as Paul, who then goes on to plant churches and really sort of revolutionizes things in the world. Um, That transformation begins there. Now, when you read that, you go, well, that's not really about the church. I thought you said the church changes people. That's just about God grabbing someone on the road. Yeah, God did grab someone on the road, but look at how he brings the church, the community, the body of Christ into into the transformation. Continuing on, look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So God gets a hold of Saul on the road and sends him to this town, and then God speaks to a guy named Ananias and said, you need to go meet up with Saul and like teach him and baptize him and go connect with him. Um, and that's a powerful thing. Ananias has a problem with this plan. He knows about who Saul is. And I don't know if you catch this, but Ananias tells God something like God doesn't know, which is not probably a, your best move, you know, if you, if you have these conversations like, God, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Saul's a really bad dude. I know you're sending me to him. You can't possibly mean for me to go talk to him because he's evil. He does bad things. He's not at all team God. He's not on your team. You think he'd be like, you, you must have the wrong guy. And God's like, nope, that's, that's who I want. In fact, he says, Saul is my chosen instrument to bear witness about me in front of the Gentiles, in front of kings, in front of the children of Israel. And then he says something really interesting. He says, I will show him how much he has to suffer. Isn't that weird? I think that's really strange. Right there at the beginning, it's uh, Saul's going to suffer. And I don't know if he said that for Ananias' benefit. Like, oh, yeah, that guy's, that guy's rough. I'm going to make him suffer. Just you wait. And then Ananias is like, cool, I'll go tell him. You know, like, this is great. Like, he thought that was part of a, a good plan. Um, but I think that's interesting that right there at the entrance to his conversion, his transformation, it's it, it said up front, you're, you're going to suffer, which is like the worst pitch for Christianity ever, to be like, you're going to suffer. Like when we were looking at a vision statement for Area 10 and we we're saying transforming lives in the city for the city, you know, we didn't exactly, we didn't come up with join A10, you're going to suffer. Like that doesn't look good on a mug or a magnet or anything like, but that's the reality is that there's, there's hardship in this thing. There, there, there's pain. There, there, it's, there's a tough road to walk. Kierkegaard said it's not that the journey is hard. It's that hardship is the journey. And that's what Saul needed to understand eventually. And, and, and God expresses that to Ananias. So Saul becomes Paul. He travels around the Mediterranean. And for a few decades, he starts churches there. Those churches grow. And the, the movement of Christianity, the movement of the way, grows from a couple thousand people to millions of people throughout the Roman Empire and now almost two billion people worldwide. Um, and, and so there's a radical transformation, a, a shifting of, of Paul's life, Saul's life into Paul. And, and there's some things there that we can, that we can learn from. Um, what, when, when we talk about transformation, change, growth, what exactly are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a total makeover of you and I uh, by God, where he changes our, our head, our heart, our hands, and our feet, uh, like the, the whole body. Our head meaning our thoughts. He makes us think differently. Uh, our, our heart being our desires, our will, the, the things we want, um, emotional stuff. God works that stuff over as well. And then our hands being the things we pick up and lay down. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. And then feet, like the path that we're walking on. God reworks and reorders all of those things. And that is what we, what we mean when we talk about uh, transformation. So we, 
one of the ways we say it then um, as a value, uh, as a church, and what we want to be about is, is this. We, we believe that Jesus transforms our entire being. God goes to work on us. There's a word in the New Testament for this. It's called sanctification. When you give your life to Christ and you are baptized into him, the Holy Spirit enters your life and, and takes up residence inside of you and begins to clean out things from the inside out. He works, he convicts you of sin. He works on your heart and says, hey, this stuff's broken. This is stuff we gotta deal with. We're gonna, we're gonna clean that stuff out and he fills you with the new and the good stuff. There's a transformation. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. I, I know very few people who magically, like, one day, you know, they were uh, evil and, and the next day they're, like, amazing or something like that. Like, it's, it's a process of, of sanctification that, that goes on. Um, even Paul wasn't totally different from day one. There was a process where God had to shape him and reshape him um, over, over time. God worked on Paul's mind. He changed his thinking. Paul writes about it in Romans 12. Listen to what he says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love this verse. He says, first of all, look, the world, and let's put it in our context, American culture in the 21st century has a way, has a way of thinking about things, has a way of, it has things it believes, things it honors, things it glorifies, things it raises up as, as above all else. American culture thinks about things in a certain way. And, and Paul's challenge in Roman culture, which is also a challenge for us, is don't conform to that. Don't just be like everyone else. If you're a follower of Jesus, there should be something in your mind that is actually out of step with all of your neighbors who aren't following Jesus. And that's okay. And it's hard because in a, in a, in a culture of likes and clicking and, and, and putting little hearts on things that we like and, and social media instant approval, we want to be liked we, we, we want to be acknowledged, but, but Paul reminds us, no, don't, don't conform to that. Be something different. He says, instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he talking about? He's talking about your thoughts being different, where you get to know Christ and he reworks the way you think even, which is, which is pretty powerful. Paul had to go through this himself. Paul was, I think you would say now, initially, Paul was, was what we would call racist, he was a Jew who thought Gentiles were dirty. So most of the Roman Empire is Gentiles, and the Jews thought those outsiders are bad and dirty and, you know, they're, they're, they're bad people. And so Paul had to overcome that because God said, I want you to go reach the Gentiles. Well, Paul wouldn't be any good reaching people he hates. So he had to work through it, and he had to think differently about other races, about who belongs to God, about who can be in. God had to change his thinking. I was thinking about um, maybe a, a, a little analogy of this or a little example of this. Uh, my wife and I have been married, my wife Abby and I have been married 20 years, and we're not at the place yet where we can finish each other's sentences. Um, I'm hoping we're there one day, you know. Um, she can finish sentences of characters in movies, like, all the time. It's, it's real weird. Like, she knows what they're about to say before they say it, and she'll say it out loud, and then they say it, and I'm like, how do you keep doing this? But she hasn't finished mine yet, but... What we can do is, um, what, I, what I have noticed is if I'm wrestling with a problem or I'm thinking through something, I have a way I think about things, right? But I'm, I'm familiar enough with her voice 
and the way she thinks about things, that when I think about a problem, I can also think about it from her perspective. Well, what would Abby say about this? How would she, how would she process this, or what would she think? And it, in that sense, it becomes almost like another counselor in my head, another option, another voice that says, oh, here's a different way of looking at it, and, and it gives me, it, it ends up being helpful to me to see things from another perspective. And when I say being transformed by the renewal of your mind, there's a piece of it that's like that. The more you get to know Jesus' words, you read them, the more you dive into the scripture and understand what he's saying, what God has taught us, it becomes like that voice in your mind that, okay, no, here's truth. Here's a different way of thinking about it. Here's what your identity is really found in. Here's who you are in Christ. You start to learn that and, and much more naturally start to think that way. And your, even your thoughts are transformed. So Jesus transforms your your thoughts. He also transforms uh, your, your heart. And by that, I mean he transforms your will, your affections, your loves, the things you care about. Jesus transforms that and stirs us up to care about new things. Paul planted a lot of churches. One of them was in a town called, a town called Philippi. And I want you to hear what he says in his letter to that church. Listen to how he describes it. I thank my God writing to a church, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you hear the guy's heart just coming through on the page? He yearns for them. He has affection for them. People he didn't even know or care about. There's something in him that has been moved and now he cares and he wants to be with them and he's proud of them. And he sounds almost like a, a parent with proud children or whatever. Like there's a relationship there. And Paul is now not just thinking differently, he's caring differently. Let me ask you this, those of you who are followers of Jesus. Um, do you care about some things differently now? Has your heart been moved on some things? Are you aware of things? Do you love things that you didn't even know you loved before? Are there new things that God has stirred up inside of you? I see this with people at our church. We, we send teams to Vietnam every year. And, and if you haven't been, it's, it's, it's a powerful experience. I, I would encourage you to consider it when we, when we, uh, when, when we start recruiting for that. Because uh, the people that go to Vietnam, it is a profound experience. You see, for most Americans, Vietnam is a war, a country that's really far away, could barely locate it on a map, maybe, which doesn't say much. A lot of Americans can't put Florida on a map. So just like, but also, Vietnam is like, well, I don't know where that is. Like, it's way over there, right? Um, but to us, it's just a thing. It's like, does God love people in Vietnam? Sure, I guess. I'm, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I'm not into that. But then you go, and you, you walk on that ground, and you walk through the capital city of Hanoi, and you meet the kids from the SS3 orphanage and the people who work there, and you see the mountains, and you feel that air like a wet blanket. And, and suddenly, it's not just a thing, a thought, a place, 
that exists, you know it in, exists in reality, but for you it might as well be fantasy, it's just something over there. Suddenly it becomes, no, no, I, I care about these people. You hear the word orphan and your ears perk up from that point forward. You, you have names and faces and you go, these are real people that matter. These are people that are close to the heart of God and, and if I wanna know him, I need to know them and I, and, and I wanna love them. And suddenly you start caring about something you didn't care about before. And maybe you come back here and you get more involved with kids here at A10 Kids or somewhere else. Maybe you come back here, you get more involved with adoption and foster care because you care about the, the, the fatherless. And it becomes a, a powerful thing. Your, your heart and your affection has been stirred. Um, and, and you start not just seeing things differently, you start feeling things differently. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus transforms not just our thoughts, but our hearts and really uh, moves us to care about some some new things. So how does that happen? How are our hearts and minds changed? It's not typically overnight. Usually there's a process to it, which brings us to the last value I want to talk about today. It's this, habits form character. And we thought about ways to say this. This is like the cleanest, simplest way. Habits form character. Good and bad form good and bad character, right? So if we're going to grow, if we're going to become like Christ, there are things we must pick up and engage in, and there are things we need to set down and, and let go of. Because those things, those little things, step by step, incrementally, will help us to grow. This is a key piece to our transformation. It's one thing to think well, it's one thing to have your heart be stirred, but what are you gonna start doing every single day? Because what you're willing to pick up and do every single day or not do every day will shape you and, and form you. The Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus, and he says this to him. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. That's entering into discipline. That's doing the work. That's showing up day after day. It doesn't magically happen upon you. If you want to run a marathon, you train for it. You don't just pretend you can do it and then just go out there. Those people are lying on the ground somewhere halfway through, right? Like, train yourself, he says. Do, do the work. This is a, a discipline. Could God magically change you? Of course he could. But typically, I don't think he overrides our free will like that. He works with you in relationship to, to, to form you. And so this is how we change and grow. It's, it's, it's similar in the church as even outside the church. If you, if, you, if you drink too much alcohol and you go, I gotta walk away from that, that is a training, that is a discipline, that is an everyday thing. I'm not gonna do this. If you overeat, you have to train yourself and have the everyday discipline. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. If you're gonna exercise, you wanna get in good shape, you can't go once to the gym and expect that does it. You have to go consistently. You have to consistently work out and go, I'm gonna show up every single day, little by little, that habit is going to form me in some way. And in the same way with our faith, um, we, we consistently join small groups. We consistently come to church. We consistently pray. We consistently read. We consistently give and serve and, and be involved in other people's lives. And the consistency of that over time reforms us and it shapes us. Area 10 for the next decade, I would love if we thought about this place uh, not just our gathering here, but small groups and everything, classes. I would love if we thought about this as like, almost like a gym for the soul. Or, or let's say a studio for the soul. So a gym for the soul, like 
this is a place where you come to do the work. You, you can go to the gym. There's ways to go to the gym and just talk to people and hang around the machines and then go to the water fountain and then talk to more people and maybe get one set in that doesn't do anything. And then there's ways to go where you show up and you, and you go, I'm going to I'm going to do some work, and God's going to work on me. He's going to bring the growth, but I'm going to do my part. I'm going to engage in these habits and practices. Um, or maybe, maybe you could say Area 10 could be like a, a studio for the soul. You, you got this master work, this thing you're painting. You're like, I'm going to show up there. I'm going to continue to add brush strokes. I'm going to adjust this thing to create the masterpiece, but I'm going to show up and, and, and do the work. And that's what I would love to see us be. One of my favorite classes that I get to teach at this church is called Transformation. And we do this class on, we're going to start it actually on Monday night, October 1st, and it's going to run for eight Mondays in October, November. And there's 60 to 100 people already at this church who have taken that class. And if you've not taken it and you feel stuck right now, this is a great class for you because this is a class about getting unstuck. This is a class about getting into how you think and, and what you feel and what you want and where you're going and like dealing with that so that you can move forward. So if you haven't signed up for that, we'll put it out on social media, be on our website. You can sign up for that transformation class. Eight, eight Monday nights in our new space. Um, join us. Join, join us for that because it's, it's fun. It's hard. There's homework. Uh, it'll stretch you, and it's going to be good. And I would love for you to, to, to be there, to really take this stuff to the next, next level. Um, because part of that change process is going to involve the habits that we get into, what we pick up and what we lay down. We want this church to be a place that helps you do that. Um, I, I love the church because I think it's a community of change. And it can be such a change agent in this culture. Maybe you heard the story of, this was six weeks ago probably in the news. Uh, there's a guy uh, named Ken Parker. And Ken Parker was at Charlottesville last year for the rally. And he was part of the white supremacist group. And um, something about that whole rally was unsettling to him. And he was struggling with his beliefs uh, over the next couple of months. And at a pool in his neighborhood, he met an African-American man named William McKinnon III. And he saw this guy and he said, there's something different about him. He didn't know what it was. Well, it turns out William McKinnon III was a pastor of a church. And he got to become friends with Ken Parker and um, invited him to his church. And Ken Parker started attending this church over the next couple months. Um, and on Easter, he heard the gospel story of this year. And then on July 21st, Ken Parker gave his life to Christ and was baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. And now he's laying aside all of his former life and the things he used to believe, and he's walking a new path. Jesus changes people. That stuff is real. And, and it's profound. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be part of the transformation. I want to be there when God shows up in someone's life and does his thing because that change is, is real and, and, it, and it really moves people. And maybe you have that story too. Maybe you've been baptized at this church. You've seen change in your life since you've been involved here. We baptized a couple hundred people. I'd love to baptize 500 or more in the next decade of people saying, I'm in, I'm giving my life to Christ, I'm going to get baptized. We're going to have a baptistry set up in the new building. We baptize people left and right. Let, let's go. And let's, let's, see how, uh, let, let's see how God's going to do his thing in this new space. Now, I believe that God's power at work through the church changes people. I told you that. But you would expect me to believe that I work in a church. 
So in some ways, I'm like up here towing the company line. You know, like, well, if you be very cynical, you're like, well, he's a minister. Of course he thinks that's what God does in churches. But I don't want you to hear it just from me. Let me read to you just a, a quote. There was a guy named Matthew Paris who grew up in Africa, but he's an Englishman. And so his adult life, he lived in, in London, and he works, uh, worked for the London Guardian newspaper. And he went back to Africa to visit his homeland, and he wrote an article about what he experienced there. And he said, and he's an atheist, Okay, so this isn't on Team Jesus over here. Listen to what he says uh, about his experience. He says, now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Here's someone very much outside the church saying, oh, wait, there is something going on here. And that's what I want to be a part of. And I hope you do too. And that's what I want to be defined by as a church. I want us to be that for years and years and years. Let's keep going with another decade. Let's see life change happen here because I believe the rebirth is real and the change is good. Because where else are we going to pour our lives? Like, every one of us in this room will be gone someday. This building, as beautiful as it is, it won't last. It won't be here forever. Um, The church, Area 10, won't exist forever. But we have this time. We have now. What are we going to invest in that actually makes a difference? That is eternal. We can invest in the people that are here, in each other, in in people that are outside this room that we want to bring in to be part of the family. Making an investment in people has an eternal difference, and we can see eternal changes that are made there. And a lot of you are plugged in in many ways in this church, and 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 if you're not, if you've been on the sidelines, man, come on in. Get involved. Because the rebirth is real and the change is good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray you work us over. You reform us and shape us into into your likeness. Help us to become the people you're calling us to be. Um, And I, I pray as we digest all this, we examine our thoughts and our hearts and what we want and and move to to bring those things in alignment with you. God, I thank you for your faithfulness that We can show up and do the work, but you're the one who actually brings the growth and the transformation. You bring the results. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.